Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. Today we're going to talk about Florida's freshwater springs and how they're being impacted by development, pollution, and bottled water. About two years ago, opponents of a plan to allow a giant corporation to draw more water from Florida's pristine springs and aquifers suffered a setback. The food giant Nestle was working with a company called Seven Springs Water to apply for a permit renewal to take nearly a million gallons a day of water from springs connected to the Santa Fe River. And an administrative law judge ruled in favor of the permit applicants, contradicting staff recommendations from the Sewanee River Water Management District. Since then, Nestle has sold its bottled water division. We'll talk more about that and other springs news. With our guests joining me now by Zoom is Marilee Malwitz-Gypson, a resident of Fort White, Florida in North Central Florida and a board member with the group Our Santa Fe River. Welcome to WMNS Tuesday Cafe, Marilee. Hey, Sean, it's nice to be back. I'm just going to check my audio because I didn't have a microphone, just making sure that you can hear me. You sound great. Can you hear us okay? I can, yeah. All right, great. Well, let's start with the group that you're with, Our Santa Fe River. Tell us about that group. What is it? Yep. Our Santa Fe River is a group of volunteers that uh, live and work in this area. Uh, they stopped four bottling plants back between 2006, 2007, up until about 2011 or so. Um, it was it was not easy, uh, but because they were able to stop those four bottling plants, they then went on to get involved with a lot of other land use issues that impact our springs. So we became a formidable group um, challenging development projects that impact the basin, the the entire basin of the Santa Fe River, not just the river itself, because land uses uh, do impact from miles and miles away. So uh, the bottled water back then, we were able to stop it. And so we thought that, um, of course, that we were going to take this challenge on with the, the plant that used to be called the CCDA plant on County Road 340 in High Springs. Uh, They got a permit many, many years ago. And so we were challenging the reissuance of this permit because our river is super low. Um, It's highly influenced by uh, water use in our basin, whether you, me, whoever lives and works around here that's using water and especially corporate water, large large quantities of water and agriculture. Uh, We're definitely impacted by extraction. And then we're also impacted by pollution, and they, they kind of go twofold, hand in hand in that way. Uh, the solution to pollution is dilution, usually. Uh, and But uh, I'm sorry, but at the same time, we don't want to see that pollution actually being injected into our uh, surface water conditions that ultimately feed our springs. So um, the latest bottling per, uh, permit is now... Um, uh, going to go back to ADOA through uh, a challenge that was brought forward by the Florida Springs Council. Uh, and that challenge will be heard before a, a Department of Administrative hearings. Um, it would, and that was even interesting because they had to go through an appellate process to get that to be heard in front of ADOA, uh, a DOA Department of Administrative hearing. Um, and they got it. They got an appeal, which is which is really extraordinary. So we're all kind of um, very happy and elated that we got an appeal to actually move forward with this particular case um, that was wrongfully, we feel very wrongfully, a permit issued on a, on a protected waterway. Before we talk more about that appeal that you were just referencing, uh, the 
the um, when you say you th- thought it was wrongfully decided when the original permit was issued, that's because in part perhaps because the Suwannee River Water Management Board Management. staff recommendation was that the permit be not renewed. But then what happened after that? It was a, a judge said that it was able to be renewed. Yes, uh, uh, the judge at the time, sorry, I can't recall that person's name, uh, decided that uh, the Nestle case, because Nestle was the one that brought that case forward for the Department of Administrative Hearing based on the staff recommendation of denial for that permit back in March of 2021. And so, or I'm sorry, 2022. Uh, And so that judge thought that uh, everything Nestle was saying to him anyway, uh, was relevant and important to the case and and felt that the water management district, the board members should vote in favor of this particular permit, despite the fact that the district wanted to deny it. Um, and and the arguments that the district made were were fairly a little weak and and timid. Um, they they uh, were talking about how much water do you need for the plant? How much can you possibly uh, 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 bottle there. And so they did get a reduction. They got a reduction instead of 1,125,000 gallons of water a day, they got it down to just under a million, which is 984,000 gallons of water a day. Still almost a million. No matter how you look at this, the million gallons coming out of the Devil's Eye Complex, which is also Jenny Springs, Blue Springs, Rum Island, Johnson Springs, Jonathan Springs, Mermaid Springs, you know, so just, all of this cluster of springs is exactly what needs this water. And Instead, we're filling it in plastic bottles and shipping it to the ends of the earth and thereby increasing the plastic and the consumption of plastic and the disposals of plastic uh, while we're we're giving our water away for free. Seven Springs Water Company pays nothing for this water. Uh, and and yet the nature, the natural systems and ourselves that live and work and are around here are subjected to uh, their use. Uh, where we might run out of water, we might have a water, uh, uh, a time when we have drought where we can't be using our water. We, people, can't be using our water, which is fine with me. <laughs> I don't water my lawn anyway. Uh, but but the, the, the point is, is that they're still bottling. You know, they're still bottling water and everybody else will have to cut back when we get into these drought conditions, which we're almost at right now, honestly. When you look at the Fort White gauge, it's extremely low. And my question to the water management district right now in terms of this water permitting is that you've allowed this to happen. And yet now we're at a really low point on our river. So when are you going to turn the bottle or the uh, the pumps off? Is there going to be a requirement for this company to turn these pumps off since our water is so low right now in the Santa Fe River? Anyway, um, so the Nestle arguments that were brought before that DOA, uh, the judge agreed with. And so in that context, the judge agreed and said, yes, this can be moved forward. But we, our Santa Fe River, not our, never got our day in court where we wanted to bring up our own arguments about the the uh, the issuance of this bottled water permit and why it was so bad. And, and number one, the, the, one of the biggest badnesses, badnesses, it's not a word, one of the biggest problems with this is that uh, the public spoke. And, and, and it's part of the permitting process. When the public speaks, speaks, we have at least two parts of this three-pronged test business that the, that goes into issuing permits. And they have to, you know, speculate on these three prongs about what matters and what matters should matter about the public. And when the public speaks close to 19,000 comments that were submitted to the Water Management District on this one permit alone, that's enough to turn the tide. That's enough to say, hey, 
the public doesn't want this. Maybe we should listen to them. But that that was never brought into any of the discussions with staff. Instead, like I said, it was um, some some uh, reasons that they denied this permit that that were not about nature, were not about the public. They were really about uh, the mechanics of uh, and and the legal descriptions about whether or not this permit should be issued. I want to remind complicated, you. super complicated law. I mean, to sit here and 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 work on this uh, for for since 2019, we our Santa Fe River have been working to get this permit denied, and we had all kinds of information in place. The, the biggest one in the room, the biggest line in the room that we wanted to bring forward was Seven Springs Water Company is a shell of a company. They don't own anything. They own this tiny little swath of land that really amounts to nothing. It amounts to almost a road. And so how did the state of Florida give away, give, they get it for free, this water for free, Seven Springs Water Company. How did they give uh, almost a million gallons of water away to a shell of a company that has an address at somebody's private home? It's not a, a physical address. It's the wells are located on the Ginny Springs campground properties. Seven Springs Water Company doesn't own those properties. And and the family members all involved with this are, are, are related to Ginny Springs Campground. So it's all of this strongholding of environmental resources for profit uh, and, and while the public has has no voice. We have no voice in this and neither does nature um, when it when it comes down to the bottom rationale of why this permit should be denied. And you just look at the river today which I did all week. <laughs> uh, and, and you can see that the water levels are low and maybe taking a million gallons of water out directly out of the source water, the head springs of Ginny Springs and Devil's Eye Complex and these other ones I just mentioned is a really bad idea. I want to remind people that our guest is Marilee Mulwitz-Gibson. She is a resident of Fort White, Florida, up in north central Florida, near where all these springs are that we're talking about. She's a board member with the group Our Santa Fe River. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and we'd like to hear what you have to say about Florida Springs. And if you have any questions about water or bottled water or anything about the springs, give us a call here. The number is 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. All right, I finally got it. 813-433-0885 is the text number. So, Marilee, you were talking a moment ago about how Nestle was involved in this permit issuing, but since then, there's been a major change with Nestle and its bottled water division. What's happened in the last two years? So, um, no ego aside here, but we really feel that uh, the deal that was struck between Blue Triton Holdings, who bought the most drinkable uh, fresh water in North America from Nestle through uh, the purchase of Nestle Waters North America, a subsidiary of Nestle itself that bottles fresh water around our, our North American continent, <laughs> uh, that when Ginny Spring, when when the permit was issued for Ginny Springs, which is kind of how it's couched around here, uh, when that permit was issued, that uh, the deal was struck. The four point three billion dollars that uh, Blue Triton Holdings paid Nestle for access to the most drinkable water resources on the continent of North America uh, now goes to uh, the access goes to Dean Metropolis and. Uh, his two sons that um, actually happened, the, the, the dean actually lives in Florida, believe it or not, in Palm Beach down there. And um, we've been monitoring and watching the Blue Triton Holdings Company since 
since we first heard about this deal being struck. And so it's not lost on us that uh, in in July, shortly a few months after February, uh, that that the deal was done, this 4.3 billion. And then and then it got even more confusing for the public because even on the internet, when you searched Blue Holdings, they were still tied deeply connected, intrinsically, whatever, with Nestle. So Zephyr Hills, the, the bottle that, of, of choice uh, for our ear listening audience in most of Florida's, and everybody says, oh, it tastes so good. <laughs> well, it's proprietary that they're adding certain trace minerals. They're also doing reverse osmosis at the plant um, where all the plants where they actually do bottle fresh water in the state of Florida. It's never really spring water coming out of a system. It would be green with algae by the time it got to your grocery store, if that was the case. So, uh, so uh, um, Blue Triton now owns um, the vast majority of the assets associated with Nestle Waters North America. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm with a consortium of groups around the country uh, um, and, and also in Canada that monitor bottled water businesses in, in our countries. And, and it's shocking uh, how that deal went down. That was a, a, a traded deal with a lot of borrowed money. And so there's investors involved and there's th these, these men involved and, um, and it's a, it's a frightening, um, situation when you can sell access that easily to, to fresh water resources. It's very frightening. They shouldn't be sold that way whatsoever. And the most recent news, so even more recent than the Nestle selling its bottled water division, North American bottled water division to this company, is that the, as you were alluding to earlier, the Florida Springs Council won their appeal for an appellate court to be granted a Department of Administrative hearing on the issuance of the bottled water permit by the Suwannee River Water Management Board members to Seven Springs Water Company. So you, you talked about that briefly, but that's, that's kind of um, maybe big news, the most significant news that's happened maybe in the last couple of years since this permit was granted. So tell us more about that decision. Yeah, it, it's a very interesting um, situation because it actually puts us on the same side as the very uh, uh, antagonists in terms of uh, the water management district. So the water management district staff and, and attorneys agreed that we should have this appellate uh, process, that we should have an appeal. Uh, because we did, uh, Florida, I should say we, Florida Springs Council had an in. Uh, it's very hard to get, a, 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 in terms of environmental lawsuits, it's very difficult to, to identify yourself as having a reason to have the lawsuit. But we did, uh, Florida Springs Council did actually have an in in that it was 180 degrees different at the time that this water uh, permit was issued. The staff was actually recommending approval based on a judge's opinion. So, um, so that's where that's where things were different um, when the permit was actually issued, and that's why they had a point of entry at that point in time. And so, uh, the Florida Springs Council um, will now, in a lot of ways, be on the same side as the Water Management District because I don't think they really wanted the permit issued either. I mean, based on their original um, arguments several years ago. And what's going to happen now with this case is going to be even more confounding because in the past we were dealing with the Nestle attorneys because they were in bed together with Seven Springs Water Company. And now we're going to have to be dealing with Blue Triton attorneys. I don't know where the Nestle attorneys are going to be in all this. I know Seven Springs Water Company at one point in time had hired the Nestle attorneys to work for them to get their permit issued because Nestle needed the permit. But today, 
I don't know, does Blue Triton hire in that? I don't know how that's all going to work out, but but it's definitely um, moving forward and it's going to be before a Department of Admin, uh, Administrative Hearing judge and the Florida Springs Council are going to have their own arguments, which is really exciting because they don't have to be um, couched in the arguments that Nestle raised. These are going to be arguments based on the decision, the actual board decision that was made uh, February 23rd in 2021. So, or 20, yeah, 21, boy, it's a um, So yeah, it's a very complicated law process. Uh, water law is complicated anyway. Um, and, and it is exciting and it does give us wind under our sails, the environmental groups that, that work so hard to challenge any development use permits because of, of how water laws are written. And, 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 and this is actually to the whole point of, of, of this, uh, maybe this discussion is that water laws do have, um, really good, uh, regulations and rules, but the enforcement isn't there. And, um, we may talk about other development stuff with this, with this meeting here with you. And, but, but the enforcement, um, is so hard to, to delegate and to manage that a lot of times the, the land use changes have already happened before, uh, the permitting has already been issued. Um, we're seeing that more and more up here. We see development projects left and right, especially in Columbia County on top of the Itchitechne Trace, where um, they're developing and they're removing trees. They're clear cutting trees because they think they're going to get their permits and there's no rules about removing trees. And so in the end, whether or not they get their permits for um, building on top of a wetland or building on top of a waterway, underground waterway, because that's kind of how it is up here, a lot of underground waterways, they're already decimating the land so the, the trees the, the land is already devoid of trees and then you know you're sitting at this i just did this yesterday and you're sitting at this devoid piece of property with no trees on it anymore even though it's on top of a wetland and you're scratching your head going how how are the board going to even know that that was a forested um area for a wetland i mean that the forests are so important because they bring rain and they also hold um the roots will hold uh, soil and so forests around wetlands are, are are critical and here we are you know removing them for development projects so it's it's uh, um it's going to get really interesting in north florida we're we're seeing uh, um lots of uh migration from the coastal communities that are seeing the storms and seeing the saltwater intrusion and seeing all the problems that they're experiencing with their freshwater supplies algae um pollution you know from huge runoffs of, of of massive industrialized complexes and so they're moving into north florida where there's a lot of empty land um a lot of water i mean we have a lot of water we have it's it's, it's this florida springs heartland um, but but how how do we develop when when the rules and regulations allow for some things and yet not others? And that's really where uh, Florida Spring Council is basing a lot of their arguments in terms of their legal uh, challenges. They challenged the BMAP to the Basin Management Action Plan also. And it also had to do with how are the laws written? How are the rules written? Why are we not enforcing them? Well, let me remind people that our guest is Marilee Mulwitz-Gibson, a board member with the group Our Santa Fe River. And it's 1025 in the morning. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. If you'd like to join this conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663. You can text 813-433-0885. Please sign your name or you can write us at dj at wmnf.org. Marilee, we got a, a text from the 352 area code, so up your way. And the person is asking one million gallons a day, 
who and how is this monitored? I've seen the Santa Fe River dry up and many local springs are dead and dying, no longer flowing. Are there any mechanisms to stop pumping when river levels are low, which they are now? That's the question from the area code 352. Water, uh, the Swanee River Water Management District does have in place um, certain times where they would require, I, I forget the codes they have, I think they have three different codes where you have to start limiting your amount of water being used. Where they do the monitoring for the bottling plant at Ginny Springs is actually in Ginny Spring itself. There's a little monitoring system at the backside of the um, of the cove entryway of Ginny Springs. And then they also monitor at the Fort White Gauge downstream. Both of them are critical in terms of, um, of flows and levels, of minimum flows and levels. And they, they we do have the minimum flows and levels, again, a regulatory uh, framework to, to decide, you know, how humans use uh, the, the water in the basin and what's the best for everybody, including nature. And so um, I'm trying to get to the bottom of when there's a trigger point that cuts off the wells um, on the, on the, um, uh, at the pumping at the plant on County Road 340 or, or the wells located on the Ginny Springs campground land. Um, there used to be a cutoff. And now when I'm looking at the new permitting conditions that they just uh, allowed for, it, it's nebulous. It's a really, I'm going to have to get to the bottom of it with the staff members and figure out exactly what's the number cutoff. So and I know that's not a very uh, it's just a yes, there are mechanisms in place. And now um, you have to be uh, the neighborhood uh, watchdog and say, hey, this this uh, Fort White gauge is at, you know, 0, 0.0 whatever, and you should turn off the bus now. So, yeah, uh, that's what we're working on right now is trying to be the, the watchdogs. Well, thank you for that question from the 352 area code. Here's something uh, this Alan writes in. He says he's a new listener. He says, horrible news about the water situation that your guest is disgusting. It sounds illegal, undemocratic, un-American, and a perfect example of how capitalism and democracy do not mix. My one comment is to simplify the presentation. So um, they're saying to simplify. So uh, if there's a, maybe this will be a good chance then for you, Marilee, to in, in, a, in a sentence or two, how would you summarize What's, uh, what's happening with the Florida Springs? They're, um, they're drying up. I, I give it 10 or 20 years in a summary. 10 or 20 years and we won't see them the way they exist at all today. We're seeing them change overnight. And the reason that they're dry, drying up is not just, you know, um, by accident. It's there are things that we're talking about in this, like the taking of water for bottled water, like pollution. How, let's, we haven't talked yet about pollution uh, very much. So how, how is pollution um, impacting Florida Springs? Yeah, we're seeing uh, filamentous algae growing in all the springs. Uh, that's related to either dissolved oxygen levels or to pollution levels. Both are kind of, kind of similar in a sense, uh, but not exactly. The scientists fight on that. Um, so yeah, we're we're seeing um, at at every conduit system, every uh, sinkhole in our area, it gives it an opportunity. Uh, there's an opportunity in the Florida uh, the Florida aquifer to have uh, recharge, and so um, anywhere where these openings are on the surface of the ground, uh, you're going to get infiltration. And so whatever we do up there, whether we're changing oil, whether we're fertilizing, whether we're um, throwing our trash out the window with crap in it, that's all going into our drinking water. Um, and and I think us, you know, we can sit here and complain all day about the government and telling them, you know, you got to fix this. We're, we're responsible. If we can't figure out how to take care of our area, then that 
then the government's not going to do it for us either. I mean, I look at what I saw yesterday when I looked at all these basins, all these channels underground, all these underground, you know, all the garbage that was piled up going into these aquifer systems study, go to the Florida Springs Institute, learn more, take their classes, go to the Florida Springs Council and read up, go to the Florida Phoenix and understand more about water. They write about water all the time. Um, we have to be our own self-advocates. That's what I've learned. And that's where I've been since 2006 is in government meetings weekly. I took a break and it was nice. <laughs> I guess I'm, not, I'm back again because I'm seeing development projects where we had agriculture issues on the Santa Fe River Basin. Now we're seeing huge, massive developments. And I know I'm running out of time. Um, and the developments are more problematic in a lot of ways than even agriculture was. Our guest is Marilee Malwitz-Gibson, a board member with the group Our Santa Fe River. And we're talking today on Tuesday Cafe about Florida's freshwater springs. I'm Sean Canan. It's 10.30 in the morning. And Marilee, I did uh, ask you to come on until about 10.30. Are you able to stay on longer? I still have some questions for you. Sure. All right, great. Thank okay. you. So, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how bottling water is impacting the springs here. But what are people's alternatives to using bottled water? Filter, a filter, just like they do. You think these bottling plants are filtering their water? Your people are, are misinformed. Filter your water. Get get whatever brand you want. I don't want to be branding on your on your station, but get a filter that filters right from your top, and then fill it up in a jug or a jar and take it around with you the rest of the day. It's it's not rocket science. I the the idea that somehow drinking out of plastic is the answer to your hydration. Man, get life. Do something else. Go find a, a a bottle that's metal, preferably, or something that doesn't leach into your drinking water system, and go find a filter that sticks onto your tap water. Easy. You don't need to be bottling. You don't need to be throwing things out. That's that's the even bigger nuisance with bottled water. Is all of the plastic that I participate in cleaning up. I do a lot of cleanup projects on the highways, on the roads, and the sinkholes, and the rivers, and most of it is. Like in the next generation will 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 be scratching their heads. I I, I had galleries full of um, artwork about the springs, and part of the reason I have the springs gallery is to show you what it looks like today. Is what the springs look like, and a hundred years, five hundred years from now, people will be having this stuff on their walls, and they'll be like, "What did they think? What did they do? Why didn't they protect these things? These were such beautiful landscape treasures." And then knowing what the problems are, it's it's trash, it's chemicals, it's putting stuff on the land, it's removing trees, it's building in ways that we should not be building, and we shouldn't be bringing in a bunch of fill dirt, we shouldn't be um, jamming stuff into the ground to support your structures, we should be finding ways that we can build on the surface that don't have impacts into our water, groundwater resources underneath. And and um, I built my own house, I learned a lot when I built my own house, I did not spray my house for chemicals underneath, I did not kill my soil. There's a thing called killing soil. Believe it or not, you have to spray it like 25, 25, 30 feet out from your from your footprint where your where your foundation is and out to kill all the bugs and organisms that are on that space. We didn't do that. We we build traps. We we have traps. We do a lot of trapping. And now oh, trapping, trapping's interesting. Even the pollution that we're talking about, you know, how the, how the springs get polluted at the main intersections around North Florida, they are now using um, these uh, filtration projects that are basins that hold a lot of water from runoff from development projects because you get runoff from development projects. Water's got to go somewhere and they're filtering it. 
And they're filtering it prior to it getting back into the Santa Fe River. This is happening in Alachua. It's a test project. I, I think they've had success. Um, I haven't followed up with all of it yet, but um, those types of things, filtration is really important, but cleaning it before it filters is even better and not using it at all is even the best. Our guest is Marilee Mollwitz-Gibson, a board member with the group Our Santa Fe River. We're talking about Florida's Freshwater Springs on Tuesday Cafe. You can give us a call if you'd like to ask a question or tell us your experience with Florida Springs, 813-239-9663. You can also email us, dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. Marilee, on this show in the past, I've, I've talked with experts about something called the Right to Clean Water campaign. So tell us what that is and, and uh, why people should um, learn more about it. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a new thing. A little hard to talk about, a little confusing. And, and even me as a huge advocate of the rights to nature and, and the rights for clean water, which is really what, what it's about is, is clean water for nature. And for us, we're part of nature. Um, it, it gives an opportunity for uh, more oversight um, when it comes to projects like we're talking about. Uh, I, I, I mentioned earlier how hard it is to have a lawsuit. Um, I've, I've been involved with a lot of lawsuits trying to protect the environment and it's hard to get standing. So this gives uh, more opportunity for, uh, for, for major uh, um, uh, impacts uh, for a person to come before um, a, uh, a legal situation and say, hey, I want standing because I don't want to see these thousands of acres be destroyed for a condominium or whatever that is, whatever whatever the reasoning is. And so it, it gives uh, a chance for, for for standing, for clear standing to challenge uh, development projects that impact uh, clean water, clean water uh, storage or clean water um, in the area, whatever clean water looks like. Natural clean water is really what we're at. So, um, so the right to clean water, not only is it for you or for me, it's also for natural systems. And um, there's a, uh, a ballot initiative that you can sign on to through rsantaferiver.org or through some other entity that's pushing for this, which there are out of Orange County um, and other uh, Brevard County. And there's a few other places, I think even Tampa and um, out of uh, Gulf Coast in uh, Fort Myers. And you can sign a petition and we can get it on the ballot to put it in front of the voters as a voter referendum for the 2024 election. So um, it's 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 not about buying land as much as it is about uh, having accountability to be the one that represents uh, a right to clean water. Marilee, we have a couple of people on the line that wanna ask questions. So let's go first to Clay in Land Lakes. Happy New Year, Clay. Happy New Year to you, Sean, and to your guests, and thank you for all the hard work you've been doing to try to defend the water. That's a great job Thanks, you're doing. Mike. I'm quite familiar with this. With this, I'd like to make some points that people are usually not aware of. In the first place, all the fresh water in Florida belongs to the people of Florida. It's in the Florida Constitution. It's our water, and they're giving it away. I don't know how they give our water away, and somebody else in charge us to drink it. Um, I've never been able to get Swift Bud to explain it to us in a reasonable way. They said it's like an agricultural pro product, like a watermelon. I go, no, it's not an agricultural product. So that's one thing. The next thing is that, the, that it's the uplands that are the greatest recharge to the aquifer because they capture water and slowly allow it to move down through and filter the water into the aquifer. And uplands traditionally are the place where we're putting development. So 
so we keep destroying the recharge that we have. Um, the places of the best recharge the uh, uh, the aquifer. We also don't have a magnitude one spring anymore. They used to measure springs by their outflow, and they had we had like nine magnitude one springs and. As far back as 2000, now none of them flow at that rate anymore. Uh, that's how bad it is. It's really bad. And then we have the issue of, um, uh, as she points out, all this development is going on where they get to do all these things to change the land even before they get a permit. I have it going on over here right now at, uh, at my place. So we have to find a way, and I guess this constitutional amendment is going to be one of them, but it's already in the Constitution. She's right about the fact that the reason we go through all this is there isn't proper enforcement. There are already rules and regulations that should prevent this stuff from happening, but they're not being enforced, and they're not being enforced because of capitalism. And there's one other thing we forgot about as far as water usage goes. One of the worst wastes of water is with um, our phosphate industry, especially Mosaic. The DEP used to say the solution to pollution is dilution. So they allow them to take that fresh water out of the ground, mix it with their affluent water they need to get rid of, to it gets to a point where they can then release it into our waterways. They, they use a huge amount of water. So we have we have it, and then agriculture. Agriculture is not the worst. If they use the right method in agriculture where they keep the water on the ground, that water gets used by the plants but goes so, soaks back down to the ground. But still agriculture wastes a lot of water, especially when they're spraying it instead of laying it on the ground. Clay, thanks for those points. I appreciate you calling in. All right. Well, peace be upon you. Stay healthy, and y'all have a great new year. All right. Thanks, you too. Marilee, would you like to, uh, to to respond to any of those points that Clay brought up? Yeah. He's right about everything he said. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, commerce definitely wins out. We saw a, a, a board vote, vote at the Water Management District last month uh, on Tuesday's board meeting. I hadn't been there in over a year and a half and I went and I stayed um, after the issue about the Nestle, or I'm sorry, the Seven Springs water, bottle water permit came on the agenda and then I stayed and then there was this development project, per perfect point to your story, Clay. Tens of millions of dollars is uh, what this uh, gentleman uh, promised uh, for allowing uh, a variance to change from um, this particular region in the center of Florida by I-75 inland uh he wanted to change his variance was instead of a uh closed basin which is truly what this is he wants it to be an open basin because somebody told him it was an open open basin five years ago or whatever that is it's not an open basin an open basin would be something like draining into the gulf of mexico or into the atlantic or some wide body of water truly our area in here in the center of state of florida is an uh is an inland closed basin and so the management district, the board, actually voted in favor of the variance. And so this man can build, um, well, he thinks he can build. He's not done yet. He still needs an ERP. Um, but uh, 11 um, large-scale human uses, grocery store, hotels, stores, gas station, roundabout, a road work, directly on top of something called Clayhole Creek and Cannon Creek. Clayhole and Cannon Creek are part of the Itchituckney Trace. Part of the Itchituckney Trace feeds the Itchituckney River, a, a beloved crown jewel of the state of Florida. And he's going to be putting this... this 
huge multi-million dollar development um, on top of these two confluence underground water systems that will certainly try uh, certainly end up collapsing or, or adding pollution to this water system, which is what the variance was about, was adding pollution through a six-inch pipe that we had to hear about for two hours last week or whenever that was. So, so it is a problem. It's a problem. And I don't think our, our elected officials or our appointed officials in this case, these are appointees, um, understand that our, our resources are our value. That is the value. You take away our resources, we have dirt, which dirt can be nice. <laughs> but um, we want the water to be the value because that's why so many of us maybe moved here or love here or you know fall in love with the springs or understand their cultural significance for the state of florida and understand ultimately they are as your guest said or your person just called in they are the recharge for the aquifer the very drinking water for 21 million people in the state of florida or in the southeast so the, the idea that we're we're, we're um, not connected with the aquifer is really problematic all of us need to get educated on that we all need either from school children on on school children on up. They teach it in the Fort White schools. They have this whole program called the Parknership, where they teach kids in the Fort White school program how they're connected to their water resources. It's a brilliant thing, and all the kids go through it in the whole school. And it's been going on for fifteen years or whatever, and so the kids here get it. They understand the springs. It's the rest of us that live around Florida that that do whatever they do. They have their houses. They drive back and forth to work. They don't understand that all the water they're using, all the impacts they're making to their land ends up in the waterways, whether it's on the um, the Caloosahatchee or whether it's on the Whistlecoochee or whether it's on the Santa Fe. And, and we all have to get on board with that. We have to do drastic differences. And that's people just don't want to do the drastic stuff and they have to because that's where we're at right now we're at critical mass <laughs> and um 10 to 20 years I, that's what i give them and i, I don't want to be such a uh, um uh downer but i watch it every day i see the changes i've been seeing them since i moved here in 2002 they've changed um not getting better like you said first magnitudes there were nine nine or ten and now we have none Okay. They still have them on the books. The government does as a first magnitude. You'll see them written that way. And we, we are like, oh, first magnitude. That's not flowing like that. But, you know, they're trying to protect them. I, I get that they're trying to protect them in namesake only, but in action. It's not happening. Our guest is Marilee Mullis-Gibson, a board member with the group Our Santa Fe River. We're talking about Florida's freshwater springs, about bottled water, about pollution, about water in Florida. And you can join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663. Have a couple people on the line. We'll get to you in just a minute, Charlie. Uh, text You can text us at 813-433-0885 or you can email dj at wmnf.org. And I, I'm going to read this text from Joanne, who um, is going to is mentioning something that you you briefly mentioned just a moment ago. River traces. What are river traces, and what impact does development have on homeowners? River traces. What are they, Marilee? Yeah. Uh, so in North Florida and probably everywhere, there are um, underground water systems uh, conduits that act as rivers, and um, they have very designated um, areas where you can actually um, go to these places and go all down to the basin of where these um, channels are. And under there, where they're now there, uh, today they are ground. They, they will act as ground. They're not even wet at the top. But under there, they're water systems. And they used to be uh, 
waterways that would actually surface on the top. You would see them on the top. I mean, we're talking probably hundreds of years, 100 to 100 couple of years ago. Um, maybe not even. But anyway, uh, so these traces are um, uh, what are underground water systems, underground riverways. And we have the Itchituckney Trace. We have a Santa Fe River Trace. We call it Paradise Valley Trace that connects to the Santa Fe. There's quite a few traces on the Santa Fe, quite a few traces on the Itchituckney. Wherever there are spring systems, uh, the Withlacoochee, the Suwannee, you're going to have these underground river systems. And as you drive through the landscape, you can certainly identify with them. You're driving along and then all of a sudden the land will go down, all the way down to a bottom. And at the very bottom, you might see off your road metal railings. If you're seeing metal railings off the road, it's because it's even lower on the other side of the roads. And those are the places where there's sinkholes, where there's traces, where there's underground connections to um, the aquifer and ultimately the surface water. And ultimately that moves as a as a water mass in a certain direction and you follow the direction and it usually ends up in a string, usually, up here anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joanne, for that question. And I also want to ask this. Um, Pete in Indian Shores, which is uh, near the Gulf Coast in Pinellas County, says, are, do you have any idea how many underground aquifers there are in Pinellas County? You are connected to the Florida Aquifer. One. All right. Thank you, Marilee. And we have, uh, Charlie's been waiting on the line a while, so let's let's go to Charlie in New Tampa. Hi, Charlie. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. How are you? Doing great. Yeah, um, I was um, on the Rainbow River this weekend. Um, I've been going on that river for 50 years. And uh, one thing that I'm appalled about is the overusage with the commercial um, scuba kayak companies. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people in such a small area. And I wanted to know, who, who's getting paid? Are they paying the state? Are they paying the KP hole? Um, you know, how, there's money being made, but where is it going? All right, thank you for the question, Charlie. I can talk to that as an outfitter. Um, while I am a board member with our Santa Fe River, I am an outfitter in the Santa Fe River Basin. And uh, I'm, I'm mostly just out for the Santa Fe when people go there. Uh, as far as Rainbow River, uh, there the the inside park vendor uh, who is renting out equipment does pay the state. There's a contract with the state. You you are allowed to request that contract. You're allowed to question that contract because it is a state. Rainbow River is a state park, um, and so uh, there are no um, regulations. Um, for owning an outfitter, um, there's actually no rules either. You have the, the outfitter themselves are kind of self-regulated. Um, my business is a little different, as probably some people know. We don't run hard. We run really soft. We we don't want to be crowding the river, and um, we give the river a rest when when we think you know we need to or whatever. And there's weekends where where it can get pretty crowded on the Santa Fe too. Lately, what they're trying to do is uh, the state uh, through legislative intent is create a springs protection zone. So the springs protection zone would uh, be no mooring, anchoring, or beaching. And there might be another one in there. And Florida, uh, uh, Florida Wildlife Commission is the one that's responsible for uh, maintaining this new regulation. Um, and so they would have to enforce it. And so on the Wikiwachi, which is 
kind of near the Rainbow River, um, and also at Nickel Springs. Nickel Springs, which is off the Withacoochee, uh, the second or the Withacoochee near near the Wikiwachi area, not the northern Withacoochee. There's two in the state of Florida. Anyway, the um, the intent there is uh, at Nichols became Nichols Springs became the first uh, springs protection zone in the state of Florida. We have to start somewhere. It's just a little cove entryway. It's a really small spring, but um, the owner of that property that surrounds the spring is the one that pursued it, even though he tried to, um, or the family members of the owner, they tried to keep it quiet on the lowdown because it was Senator uh, Senator Dean, former Senator Dean, that actually was the one that pursued this with his family that now owns this property that surrounds the spring. It was his. And so um, they got it. They got an SPZ, no mooring, anchoring, or beaching. So no one that can come in there with a motorboat or a kayak and do anything in the spring. They can pass through it. They can look at the spring, uh, but they can't stay. So, um, and they can't stand in the water, you know, can't stand in the sand. And what we're seeing here in terms of recreational use is we're seeing a lot of silting. Silting is the biggest damage to, uh, I, I think, um, in terms of recreational use. Um, and silting can be a lot of different things. It can be the mooring, anchoring, and beaching. It can be getting out of your vessel. It can be swimming. It can be flipping your 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 fins. Um, and it can be jet skis that cause just a tremendous harm on the Santa Fe River. The erosion that we're seeing from jet skis and wave runners is shocking. Uh, they don't know what the damage they're doing. They come here thinking it's so fast to go fast, oh, fast through these winding rivers where there's there's kayakers and canoers and floaters and swimmers and divers on the other side of a, a blind pass. And you have these tremendous wakes and people driving super fast through the, these small river channels. So we're, we're definitely seeing an impact to um, all recreational use on these freshwater systems, not the beaches, of course, that we're talking about freshwater systems. And so um, there needs to be some rules and regulations. Even as an outfitter, I see that. Even as an outfitter, I see a, 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 a use that is quite alarming. Uh, the rivers can't handle the kind of use that we're giving them. Staying in your boat, we tell our customers lately, just stay in your boat. Don't get out. Don't. I mean, you can go to swimming designated areas and you can get out there and swim there. There's designated swimming areas. But as far as just getting out anywhere on the water, we're trying to discourage that because even your footprint, you get out and you step around and you're stepping, that'll stay there for the longest time until we get a flood that footprint will stay there. So the impacts that we're seeing, um, and everybody wants to, to do stuff on the river, it's really a hard one. Um, it's a tough one, it's, it, 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 it's, a, it's a dilemma of the commons, honestly. You've got people that own land and riverfront people, and then you've got people that don't wanna have access. And then you have parks that are trying to charge money for the access when they used to be free. So it's a um, it's it's a conundrum, and I think um, it's definitely worth having more discussions about how how do we limit the amount of humans that are recreating on these waterways just to protect them, y'all. It's just about protection. It's not about anything. It's not about money even. It's just about maintaining those natural systems so the next generation can can also equally enjoy them. Our guest is Marilee Malwitz-Gibson, a board member with the group Our Santa Fe River. We're talking about Florida Springs here on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. It's 10.52 in the morning. I'm Sean Canan, and we have another caller, Lenny in St. Pete. Hi, Lenny. What would you like to say? Hi. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes, go ahead. Oh, thank you. So, uh, well, thank you for this program. And uh, I think in general, the problem is, is that uh, the very short-sightedness of people not understanding the impacts that they're causing. And it, um, the paradox is, is that you know, people are attracted to Florida because of its natural wonders, 
And of course, the more people we come in, uh, that come in, the, the more damage it's done as people want to use those, uh, resources. And, um, eventually when the waterways turn into mud holes and dry up, then people realize that how precious this is and it's gone. And now their valuable, um, properties are going to be worthless. It, so we're creating, um, in the future, uh, you know, kind of like a death spiral. All right. Thank, thank you, Lenny. Yeah, we're, we're Lenny and, and others. Um, that's where the spring's funding comes in. Dr. DeSantis is ready to give $75 million to Springs restoration projects. And they're, they're, they're interesting. You know, some of them are land purchases. Some of them are uh, wastewater to our sewer to wastewater uh, infrastructure projects, which we do all have to get um, on a communal system versus having these septic systems that are out in the middle of nowhere doing God only knows what. Um, so yeah, it's important that we do get the funding for these projects, but it's they can't be the Band-Aid fixes. They can't be, we can't be um, just throwing umpteen millions of dollars at these at these uh, devastating impacts that we've created by human development um, to restore whatever that needs to be restored. We need to get on the front side of that and stop it at the, at the beginning, or at least educate. I think it's all in education. Our Santa Fe River, we're really tied to that right now. We want to meet with realtors. We want to meet with developers. We want to meet with um, the, the institutions that we see are the damages right now. We see um, development, human development, as one of the biggest problems for the Florida Springs. And so if we can uh, maybe sit and meet with them and talk about the, the situations and explain to them um, all of this incredible knowledge that, like I said, the Florida Springs Institute puts out or these books um, about the Springs or so many different uh, great information about Springs, sit down and explain, hey, you're going to build this thing right on top of an underground water system. And we know because we have LIDAR or we have some sort of um, advanced technology to show you that there's water under there, even though you don't don't see it with your own eyes. So um, lots of education's involved and, um, and, and, and throwing money at it is for restoration projects, projects is not, it, it's not sustainable. Our guest is Marilee Malwitz-Gibson with Our Santa Fe River. And an example of one of the statewide Springs projects that did get state money was that the, the Southwater Florida, Southwest Florida Water Management District got $10 million for the South Highland Septic to Sewer Project designed to benefit the Chasowitzka Homosassa Springs Basin. And they're going to remove from service a minimum of 69 residential septic tanks in the city of Inverness South service area. So converting septic to sewer. Now that's one of the ways that, that this money is going to go to protect springs. Uh, let me read this. Email. That's so oh. they can build more, Sean. That's so they can build more houses. So again, front side, it's not necessarily building more houses that we need, even though we need the conversions. We need to stop building the way we're building. We have an email here from Alyssa in Gulfport, and she's going back to the bottled water conversation that we were having earlier. She says, please remind people that plastic is an oil and chemical based on production process. So chemical residue is in all bottled water. So any thoughts on, on what Alyssa is adding to our bottled water conversation? She's right. 
She's right about that. And they, they degrade as they sit there on the shelf with the water in there, the degradation that does happen and the petrochemicals that do end up, you know, somehow molecular, molecularly coming into your drinking water stream as you drink. And, you know, and the other thing, it's, it, it is a petrochemical industry. Plastics is a petrochemical. And I, I have mentioned, and I'll mention it here. I think there does need to be a class action lawsuit on petrochemical uh, industries such as Dow or such as the ones that were early early devising uh this this scheme to to make everything uh packaged so that you can have it in a package to take home i mean these are all relatively new in the past 40 or 50 years on the planet and look at what we've gotten to as a result of those industries i think those industries need to be smashed i think uh we're in a whole new day and age where we know what the problems are um why are we still allowing companies like that to exist in the way that they are existing to polluting our planet our entire planet our our, our water stream the things we consume we're we're, we're consuming microplastics that that kind of if you can't get a class action lawsuit sooner than later i don't know what's worse you know smoking or plastics they got it with smoking. Why can't we get that going with plastics? Because it's, it's, we should send all our plastics that we consume, if we do any, back to the business that we bought it from. <laughs> Here you go. Let's see if we can uh, get one more phone call in. Tommy from St. Pete's. Uh, can you turn off your radio, Tommy? And, and what would you like to say? Uh, yeah. Um, I would You'll have like to turn to off your radio if, if, unless, if I'm getting I, interference. I'm all right. I'm getting some interference. Um, Go ahead and uh, say what you have to say, but very quickly, please. Uh, I spent uh, holidays in uh, the Kissimmee area, Orlando area, and dealt with a lot of right-wing family relatives that all complain about how bad the traffic is up there. and They keep on voting in these Republican governors who have just allow unfettered growth with no infrastructure put in, and they wonder why everything is so busy in Florida and why all these people complain about the way things are in Florida, but keep on voting the same people in who make the things in Florida bad, bad. All right. Thank you very much, Tommy, for that point. Uh, Marilee, is that something you'd like to weigh in on? I, I'm, I'm going to pass on the politics weighing in on, um, and, and it's systemic. It, I mean, I, I would say that, uh, not the politics, of course, but the the idea that it's just one person or one um, cabinet or, or something, it's systemic. We, we, we lost the Department of Community Affairs. That's more important. That Department of Community Affairs, uh, Governor Scott took out when he first got into office that very day. I was there when it happened. It was very bizarre. <laughs> and so that that department was critical for development because they had the expertise when small rural communities or smaller communities that couldn't afford the expertise, um, they could go to them with their the, these plans from developers and say, hey, can you do this? Can we do this here? Can we put this right here in the center of town or wherever it is or on top of this? And so those experts were critical to give uh, cities and municipalities or, or counties and cities, I should say, the, the the good stuff, the good things that need to be there. And we need that back. We need the Department of Community Affairs back. Well, I want to thank you so very much for joining us on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Marilee. Hey.
Thank, thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope it's a great 2023 year and I hope everybody does get outside and see nature. Thank you. <laughs> Keep us posted on, on what happens with the springs. Marilee Malwitz-Gibson is a board member with Our Santa Fe River and you can watch this interview. It'll be on our website this afternoon. That's WMNF.org. I want to thank my guest, Marilee Malwitz-Gibson and also our phone screener, Greg. Thank you very much, Greg. And I hope you get better, John. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. We'll be back next Tuesday at 10. If you like the programming on 88.5, donate at WMNF.org. Wavemakers with Tom and Janet are, is next. They're talking about the business of cannabis. You're listening to WMNF News Tampa. WMNF Tampa. Live.